Hi, my name's Josh, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Church podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So let me welcome uh, up today J.J. West. He is uh, the counselor who comes to Grace Clinic on a weekly basis. He's preached here several times before, so let me pray for J.J. Father, we thank you for this time that you uh, have brought J.J. for us to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that you would open him and our ears to you. In your name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is a pleasure and treat to be here. So last week, of course, the common greeting was Happy Easter, and he is ridden, risen, ridden, yeah, that's good. He is risen, <laughs> the response, he is risen indeed. This weekend, I guess the common expression would be happy endgame. Um, <laughs> apparently, that's a big thing everyone's gone to see. I haven't seen it yet, so you will not get any spoilers from me, and if you try to give me a spoiler, I will have your head on a platter. No. Um, But it's a big deal, isn't it? A lot of people have gone to see the movie. A lot of people are planning to go see the movie. A lot of people are talking about the movie, right? It's a big deal. For some. (laughs) Not so much for others. Some of you are sitting out there going, what is he talking about? (laughs) What in the world is Endgame? The game's over? Okay, great. It's a movie. Uh, The Avengers, the last one. So, for some people it's a big deal. And for those who it is a big deal, they are talking about it a lot. We're going to be talking today about a big deal. A big deal that people talked about. Some talked about a lot. Some talked about a little. Some should have talked about it a whole lot more. Today we are looking at a passage in the Gospel of John, and in the section that we are looking at, there are three revelations of Jesus. Now, we just heard the passage read, you're probably familiar with the passage, you're probably sitting there thinking, JJ, you don't know how to count, because there are two revelations in this passage, not three. We'll get to that I hope by the end of the sermon you will agree that there are indeed three revelations of Jesus. What's interesting, though, is that this particular passage falls in the middle of three different passages where Jesus reveals himself specifically to an individual. Sometimes the revelation to that individual is is within the context of a larger group. Sometimes the individual is just by themselves. In the first one, the passage that was read and preached on last week where Jesus reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene who is distraught over the death of Jesus. She is undone by the fact that this man who healed her has been killed and buried. And Jesus comes and reveals himself to her and brings her hope. And in this passage that we'll, we'll look at today, Jesus reveals himself specifically to Thomas, one who was doubting and questioning. 
And Jesus reveals himself as the truth. And in the following passage in John 21, Jesus reveals himself to Peter. Good old Peter, the one who boasted that he would be with Jesus to the very end and then denied him three times. Peter, who's so full of shame. And Jesus reveals himself to him. And he restores him. But in this passage today, we're looking at three specific revelations. The individual revelation to Thomas, the corporate revelation to the disciples, and a third revelation as yet to be named. <laughs> but we'll look at it in a minute. So, let's look at the scene. The disciples are gathered together, and this is Resurrection Sunday. This is the very first Easter, and they're gathered together. They've, they've heard the news, okay? The news has gotten out because this is evening on that first Sunday. Early in the morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. It was empty. She goes and gets some of the disciples. Peter and John run there. For some reason, John feels the need to tell us that he got there first. They go into the tomb. Well, Peter goes in. John stands outside. They look in. They see it's empty. They're amazed. But not much else happens. Then Jesus reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. And she goes and tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And of course the disciples respond with, that's great news. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Let's go out and proclaim this truth everywhere. <laughs> no. What they did is they said, that's crazy talk. We're going to go hide. <laughs> in a room. And bolt the door. Why? Well, listen, let's, let's give them some credit here. The religious leaders had just killed their leader. He was dead. He was buried. They watched it happen. They had some pretty legit reasons to be afraid. But they were. They were very much afraid. And they were hiding. And in their hiding, in this room, with the door locked, no way anybody can get in, right? Well, except one. Jesus shows up. He just appears. <laughs> I love that. Just, you know, they're all like, oh, what's going to happen? Bing. There he is. And what does he say? Does he say, what is wrong with you guys? Why are you so scared? Get out there. Tell them what's happened. Why didn't you believe? No, he says what? Peace. Shalom. Wholeness. He preaches peace to them. Why? Because they needed it. Because they were filled with fear. They were filled with dread. And they needed the peace of God to rest on them and fill them and make them whole. That shalom peace. So he offers them his peace. But he also offers them his purpose. And his power. After he greets them with a very standard greeting, by the way, he says to them, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. But, but wait, before they can go, before they can be sent out, before they can proclaim this good news, they have to believe it. And when Jesus first shows up, we have no indication that they believe it. Until what? 
until he shows them the marks in his hands and in his side. He shows them the wounds that he received on the cross. And in so showing them those wounds, their eyes are opened and they believe and they are filled with joy that Jesus is alive, that he's risen, that he's right there in front of them. And so he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Now, how did the Father send the Son? How did the Father send Jesus? Well, he sent him to suffer, didn't he? I mean, they've just looked at the very marks of his crucifixion, his suffering. (laughs) And it's this same Jesus who says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. This mission, this purpose that he calls them to, that he, that he enlists them in, is not one of complete comfort and happiness. It is one of pain and suffering, but it is one of purpose. And it is one of joy. And so he sends them as he was sent, but guess what? <laughs> he also sends us. More on that later. <clears throat> what does he send them to do? He sends them to tell the good news, to preach. He says, (laughs) if you go and forgive others their sins, they're forgiven. If you retain their sins, they're retained. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean these guys, these 11 sitting in this room, they're the only ones. They're the only ones who have the authority to forgive sins or to not forgive. Is that what Jesus is saying? I don't think so. I think what he is saying is, go, tell, proclaim the good news, proclaim what I died for, and that when people believe this message, this good news, their sins are forgiven. But if they will not believe, they also need to be warned that their sins will be retained, that they will not be forgiven, they will not be set free. And so he sends them, but he doesn't send them on their own strength. Because the final thing he does is he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, those of you who are very familiar with the church calendar understand this is a problematic passage because Pentecost isn't supposed to happen on Easter Sunday. In fact, Pentecost happens eh, several weeks later, right? The receiving of the Spirit. So what's this all about, Jesus? This whole breathing on them and and telling them to receive the Spirit. Listen, I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of commentators out there with a whole lot of opinions on what this means. Uh, I don't think we can know for certain, but I do believe, at the very least, we can say, and we can see this throughout Scripture, that the Holy Spirit is not a commodity. It's not a product. It's not a one-time, you know, Blue light special. Well, those of you who aren't old enough don't know what a blue light special is. That's too bad. Um, There's no coupon here. (laughs) The Spirit is given liberally and freely and throughout, throughout God's interaction with His people. And the Spirit is given to empower the people of God to do the work of And so Jesus empowers them by the Spirit to go and proclaim the good news, even though it will cost them. They will suffer, and most of them will die. 
at the hands of those they preach to. Alistair Begg, uh, that great Scottish theologian and preacher that I thoroughly love, he says it this way. Into their fearfulness, he comes to bestow his peace. And into their cluelessness, he comes to reveal his purpose. And into their emptiness, he comes to grant his power. So Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, except one. One's missing. Who's missing? Thomas. Where's Thomas? You know what? We don't know. For whatever reason, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, did not think it necessary for us to know why Thomas was missing on this occasion, but Thomas was missing. And that alone is important. Thomas was missing when Jesus showed up. Thomas was not part of the gathering of the believers. Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why, but he wasn't there. And he missed out on this interaction with Jesus. And so the disciples find Thomas and they say to him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. He showed us the marks in his hands and his side. We've seen him. He's alive. He's risen. And Thomas said, wow, that's great news. Thanks for sharing it with me. Let's go tell everyone. No, he didn't. Because what do we know about Thomas? He doubts. Doubting Thomas, right? It's a terrible, terrible moniker. And I don't know why Thomas is the one who gets marked with this, because all of them doubted. Mary Magdalene told all of them, I've seen the Lord. They're all like, mm, nah, mm, nah, don't believe it. But none of them get called doubter, only Thomas. Okay, so first of all, Thomas, part of his, part of his list of requirements for believing goes along with what happened with the other ones, right? He's like, hey, I want to see the marks in his hands. I want to see the mark on his side. I, I want to see Jesus with my own eyes the way you saw Jesus with your own eyes. It does take it a step further, though. He does say, um, uh, I need to put my finger in the holes in his hands. I need to put my hand in, in his side in order to believe. Otherwise, I will not believe. So he kind of makes some demands on Jesus, which is interesting. I don't know if it's related to the fact that he wasn't there, that he was isolating himself from the rest of the believers. We don't know. But I do think it's interesting for us to ask the question, do we isolate ourselves from the body of believers? And if so, what kind of impact is it having on our faith? What kind of impact is it having on our ability to receive and believe? What's fascinating to me is that Jesus comes and reveals himself to Thomas, and guess what? Jesus knew exactly what was in Thomas's list of requirements, didn't he? He knew. And guess what? He knows what's on your list. You have a list, right? You have a list of things that you're like, yeah, if God were real, this. I would really believe God is good and wants good for me if this. He knows. He knows what's on your list. Now, if those things that are on your list are born out of a humble desire to believe, and these are realistic questions and objections and doubts, God doesn't have a problem with our questions and objections and doubts. If you've heard me any time speak, probably, uh, if you've spent any time with me at all, you've probably heard me reference the fact that 
I love the fact that God calls his people Israel, right? Israel, it means the ones who wrestle with God, the ones who contend with God. That's the name that God gave his people. You are going to be my people, and I'm going to call you the ones who wrestle with me. Well, that's an interesting name, God. Okay. And by the way, the church is called the new Israel. We're the new ones who wrestle with him all throughout, all throughout history. We've wrestled with God. And the fact that he claims that name for us, he names us that, to me indicates not only is he not put off by my questions and my doubts, he welcomes them. He invites them. He wants me to wrestle with him. And Jesus does the same with Thomas. He's willing to resolve his doubts and his questions because they are truly based in a desire to believe. But if instead our objections and our doubts are based in an intellectual smokescreen as a way of trying to push God away to kind of keep him at arm's length, God's not interested in, in doing a little dance with us. He wants us to wrestle with him so that we can come to know him, so that we can believe. And so Jesus says to Thomas, hey, go ahead. Put your fingers in the holes in my hands. Go ahead, put your hand right here in my side. He invites Thomas close. Now we have no indication from the text that Thomas actually went through with that. We have no indication from the text at all that Thomas actually did put his finger in the hole or his hand in the hole. But what we do have is his response when Jesus shows up and reveals himself to him. One of the clearest declarations of Jesus' divinity. My Lord and my God, my Yahweh, the creator, the one who was and is and is to come, you are he. You are my God. Jesus doesn't rebuke sternly Thomas for doubting, but he does remind him, he does remind him that his whole purpose in being was to believe. Stop not believing, start believing is essentially what Jesus tells him. And you may be, you may be one of those who also doubts. You may, you may wear that badge as a badge of honor. Yeah, I'm, I'm a critic, <laughs> I'm a skeptic. I investigate things. You may wear that badge in shame. I don't know if I believe. I'm not sure what I believe. I don't want anyone to know. Either way, God knows. Either way, God knows. And he doesn't sternly rebuke us for our doubts, but he does tell us, he does remind us, you were created to believe. You, I revealed myself to you so you could believe. What's fascinating to me is from this declaration, so right, we go from doubting Thomas, right? Unless I can do this, I will not, I will never believe until I can do that. To my Lord and my God, to the Acts passage that was read earlier. Peter and the apostles, Thomas was part of that group that stood before the same people that they were afraid of, the same people that they were hiding out from in this room with the door bolted, those same religious leaders had now dragged them in front of the religious council and said to them, we told you, we warned you, we sternly warned you, do not preach in this man's name, right? 
Do not do it. And now you've filled the whole city with his teaching. And you're trying to pin his death on us. <laughs> right? What did they, how'd they respond? You're right. Sorry. No. They're like, um, we can't disobey God. We will not disobey God. That Jesus that you're telling us to not talk about, not preach on, that's the one that God raised from the dead, the one you killed. Boldly proclaiming the good news. Boldly proclaiming. How did they go from these you know, scared little guys to these bold proclaimers of the truth? The power of the Spirit at work in them. Thomas, by the way, you know, we know of him as Doubting Thomas, right? There's a couple other things we need to be reminded of. Number one is that this is the same Thomas who, back earlier in the book of John, uh, chapter 11, when Jesus is going to go back and raise Lazarus from the dead, and his disciples are like, yo, Jesus, um, they're trying to kill you over there? And Jesus goes, yeah, but i got to go. And Thomas is the one who stands up and says, well, let's go with him, that we may die also. Does that fit the whole Doubting Thomas picture that we hold in our heads? This same Thomas is the one who actually went all the way to India to preach the gospel. There are churches, I, I happen to know this because my wife's family is from India, there are churches in India, a whole lot of them, that bear the name Marthoma, which means of Thomas. Hundreds of thousands, millions of believers because Thomas was willing to go. But there's one final revelation that we need to talk about. This is the one I told you was there. You didn't believe me. Jesus doesn't just reveal himself to the disciples, doesn't just reveal himself to Thomas. He reveals himself to us because Jesus says to him, Thomas, you see me and you believe, but blessed are those who believe who have not seen. Who's he talking about? That's us. That's us. We have not seen with our eyes, but we believe on the testimony of the eyewitnesses who were there. The Gospels give us that eyewitness account. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I don't know why, I don't know necessarily why God sets it up this way, that there's some sort of extra blessing or something, but it says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Which really, it's not about like we get like extra, you know, like good feelings or something. It's that... God is pleased. God is pleased when we believe even without seeing. I don't necessarily know why other than I, I, I think this. Number one, our believing without seeing keeps us dependent on him. And when we believe, we read in the final passage, in the final verse, that through believing we might have what? Life. That's why Jesus came. That's why he calls us to faith, to believe, is that we might have life. Peter then goes on in his, in his letter. He writes in 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so we have two responses to a passage like this. Uh, one is you may be someone who is sitting there saying, I have questions, I have doubts. I'm still wrestling through. That's good. Uh, you're, you're like Thomas. You're hanging out in the right place. And you're, you're asking for Jesus to reveal himself. Let some people know. Don't hold that. If you're one of the ones that's holding that as a badge of shame, uh, no longer. Tell someone. Talk to uh, any of the staff. Talk to your journey group leader. 
Let him know about your questions and invite God to meet you and reveal himself. The other thing is that, did you notice? Mary Magdalene tells the people, he, uh, tells the disciples they, she saw Jesus and their response was, eh. And then the disciples tell Thomas they saw Jesus and his response was, eh. Have you ever had that? You tell someone you've met Jesus and their response is, eh. We are still to be bold. We are still to proclaim. Because eventually, eventually people respond. Eventually they see and they encounter. Not just, not just an eyewitness account of someone, a historical figure. It's not, it's not all these old guys that have been dead for a long time. They encounter the risen Savior. He's alive. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the Father, even unto death. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to fill us, to change us, and to make us bold to proclaim. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.